Hi, it's Candy O'Terry. Welcome to another episode of the story behind her success. Look around the place where you live and ask yourself, what makes four walls a home? Someone once very wisely said, home is not a place, it's a feeling. And the woman you're about to meet knows an awful lot about homes because she has made a 20-year career out of selling them. She is a real estate industry powerhouse with nearly $8 billion, that's B, billion dollars worth of sales at Douglas Elliman, that's New York City's premier luxury residential brokerage. And along the way, she figured out that real estate is a lot like life, and life is a lot like real estate. In fact, there are a ton of similarities between an impulse buy of a house unseen and jumping into a marriage too quickly. You just never know what's going on behind those walls if you don't check out all the rooms. Am I right? This dynamic woman is also a wife, she's the mother of twin boys, and a first-time author. Her book is called Back on the Market, A Realtor's Guide to Love and Life. It's published by Forefront Books and distributed by Simon & Schuster. Her name is Holly Parker, and this is her story. Holly, welcome to the show. Well, this is a beautiful home. My goodness. Coming from you, I'm going to say that must be true. It is. It is. (laughs) Thank you for leaving New York City and coming all the way to Boston, although I know you've got all sorts of connections around here. Let's start with the book. Why did you decide to write it? I had thought about the book for a very long time now, over 15 years. And it started with me actually before my divorce, because as I was explaining real estate to my sellers and telling them that we couldn't call that buyer one more time for the fifth time to ask them if they were indeed going to put in an offer, I had to relate it to dating and then they understood it. So you don't leave five messages for somebody who you've only had one date with. They'll let you know if they're interested. And then, of course, when it happened to me, when I became back on the market after a painful divorce, I had to start listening to this advice that I was giving to people and become my own property that I was going to try and sell. At the core of the book, as you've just revealed, is your painful divorce and the realization that you just didn't know what you were getting into, maybe as much as you should have when you said, I do. And I guess it's kind of like closing on a house without having an inspection. Absolutely. The curbside was magnificent, but I really needed to do the full inspection. What did you learn from your divorce? I learned humility first and foremost. I learned about failure. I learned about pain, sorrow, and grief. And I learned how to really harness that pain. And and as I like to say, turn your pain into petrol and harness it. And it will take you places that you never thought that you could go. Your dad fascinates me. In the introduction to your book, you talk about being a little girl and having him sit you down and say, you know what? Stand on your own two feet. Tell me a little bit about what your father taught you about being a female and being independent in this world. He is still to this day a massive woman advocate. He just loves women. He majored in psychology and he loves to get under the hood. And so he loved to see women soar. And when he saw a woman scorned, he just says, let's fill your bag full of tools that if one day this does cross your path, you're going to have the tools that you need to really stand on your own two feet. 
You started your career right here in Boston, and you have historic ties to the city of Somerville. Tell me a little bit about that. My great-great-grandfather in 1872, which was 100 years before I was born, he became the mayor of Somerville. Fascinating. And tell me a little bit about how that your career started here in Boston. My dad worked in Boston his whole career at one financial center. And we were always coming to Boston and going to Chinatown and doing these things with dad. And then that ride down to Providence and to Barrington, where I grew up, became a little harder as he got older. So he got an apartment on the waterfront. And so then the family got to stay over. So tell me a little bit about Barrington, Rhode Island, because it sounds in the book pretty idyllic. Barrington is an absolutely beautiful town, that quintessential town, right? That would be the beginning of that perfect movie. But when your life isn't perfect, it can also be a nightmare to go there. And everybody knew your name. I grew up on Harbor Road. So let's talk about your career in real estate. What attracted you to selling real estate? Well, it's funny you should say that because I ended up taking a job at Waterstone Booksellers on Newberry Street. And my job there was to go and find housing for the employees coming over from London. So I got to go out of the office and go look at these magnificent apartments in Back Bay and find an appropriate, beautiful one for them to stay in for a couple of months. And I thought, someone's paying me to do this? This is amazing. And then after that year, I turned it into a full-time job by getting my license also at Back Bay at the Adult Center for Education. How did you end up in New York City? Well, because I had my first date in Boston and he lived in New York. So when we got married, that's where I went. I want to talk a little bit about this career of yours and the idea of selling these incredible properties in New York City. What's the pressure like? The pressure is really intense. You got to love the pressure. And a lot of people think that they're going to love it. And they beg me to come and work with me. And they're out of there. (laughs) They're out of there so fast. They're like, this is not what I had in mind. You got to really like it. How do you know when someone loves something, when it's really the right place as soon as they walk in? Tell me your secret. In some ways, it's very easy. You shut your mouth and you open your eyes and open your ears and you just watch them walk around the property and connect. I usually like to meet someone at the door. And if I'm training someone, I say, you know, in court where they're saying, and this is why the two defendants are here and you say why you think that they should buy that apartment at the door. Say your piece, your opening argument, and then you kind of step aside and let them connect to the property in their way. And they're going to give you a lot of information. They're going to say certain things, their body language. Remember, 90% of communication is body language. So if you stop thinking about what you're going to talk about next, and you really tap in to a full-on conversation that is being had, even though you don't hear any words, you're going to get that information that you need. Interesting. You were talking about 90% of communication is body language. You know, we make a first impression in five seconds, and that's without even saying a word. 
mm-hmm. just walking into a room. So yep. for someone in your position who's been as successful as you have, how do you prepare yourself to be in that situation? I kind of just connect to myself and I connect to the property that I'm selling. Yes. And I remember that opening argument. Why this home? I'm going to guess that when you are walking through houses with clients, you get a bird's eye view into personalities and marriages. What have you learned about relationships by selling houses? Well, you learn to know who the boss is. (laughs) Pretty quickly. You got to figure that out. Who's the decision maker? And what are the dynamics? I saw you on television. You were showing a three-floor condo in Gramercy Park for $20.9 million. Did you sell that place? I did. Woo! What does that feel like? I mean, popping a bottle of champagne is probably not enough. No, it wasn't enough. That was so much work. It was so much work because I was also involved in the pre-construction of the building. So I had been working on that for six years. So there was a lot of love, sweat and tears into it. COVID has changed everything. How has it changed the real estate market? Well, it's no longer touch and feel so much. A lot of it could be done over the phone and a lot of it was educating over the phone. So now when people come, they really don't want to see 30 different homes. They'll have narrowed it down to the winning six. And if something isn't in the contender circle price-wise, it's going to get skipped. You likened your dating experience after divorce to trying to find a future home, except this time you wanted it turnkey. Let's talk a little bit about your Mm. dating experience. And by the way, there's also something else that I love in this book, and it talks about the fact that as a redhead, you feel things very deeply. You do. And my doctor said, and I'll write you a note verifying that if you'd like, (laughs) because she said it's proven. It's proven fact. Um, that, that redheads do bleed and swell more. They have a lower threshold to pain. So let's talk a little bit about that dating experience and that need to find something turnkey. What were the lessons there? It doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't want to let everybody in on it, but your very handsome husband is sitting right across from you in my living room here in Boston. So it seems to me like this has obviously had a very happy ending. How did you know that he was the right one? He knew more than I knew. Because my heart was broken. When you've gone through a lot of pain, whether you were on a plane that was, you know, jumping around, the next time you're going to maybe come up with fear of flying. Same if you were on a boat. Same if you were in a near-death car accident. So how do you calm your fear? For me, it was someone saying, this is right. This is good. We're in it. I'm willing to work on it. Let's go. And he still says those things. And that's why I fall in love with him all over again. And he's a steady hand. He always has been. And he just says, I'm here. I love you. I'm willing to work on this. There's something also pretty incredible, magical, and wonderful about this beautiful union, which has to do with twin boys born via surrogate. I've had another guest on my show who had her daughter through a surrogate. And what an experience that is. Walk me through it. This is tying it back to the book. Yes, please. In the book, there are a couple of chapters where I go down to South America, where I see this 
unbelievable person named Vicky. So Vicky came up to visit me. She arrived at 11 o'clock at night. We opened the door. We popped champagne. We stayed up till about 1230 and said, let's go to bed. We have our whole 10 days ahead of us in New York to be together. And at 530 in the morning, eight weeks before these twins were supposed to be born, my surrogate's husband called and said, Christine's in library, guys better get out of here. And so we ran to the airport in slippers. Yeah, this is the part where I think Mark forgot to take his slippers off. So he's yes, yes. on the airplane with a pair of slippers on. That's going to stay with him for the rest of his life, probably, right? He had just pulled out his back so badly that he could hardly sit on the plane. But right when the doors were closing out of JFK, we got pictures of the twins and we just could not believe that we got to that moment of actually becoming parents. We couldn't believe it, but we named them right there as they were saying, please take your seats. And they, it was very sweet because when we got to the Denver hospital, they didn't wash them. They kept them like they were just born. And they said, we just wanted you guys to see them so naturally. How did you find a surrogate? How did you know it was the right one for you? You have to connect, don't you? I found the surrogate because I was lucky enough to be working out at a gym David Kirsch's gym in Manhattan, right on Fifth Avenue and 26th Street. And he got to be a father of twins while I was there working out. And I said, David, tell me the process. How are you doing? And he said, I found the most amazing woman. And she guided me through this whole process. So if you ever need any advice on this, come find me. And I don't know how many miscarriages that we had, but a lot. And the fertility doctor just said, Holly, do you want a baby? Because if you want a baby, we got to move on to the next step here. And I took his advice and I called David and I got in touch with this amazing woman. And she did. She, she became a friend. And there they are. And there they are. How did motherhood change you? There's a saying, give the busiest person something to do. <laughs> learn to do everything faster. And so it's very productive. Gosh, you know, the fat out of your day just comes right out, right? You are just streamlining muscle only. I'm trying to imagine what the flight home from Denver was like. Take me back. This flight from Denver was really sweet. Parker was on an oxygen machine because he was only two pounds and Mason was three pounds. And we had tried so many different ways on how to get home and landed that this was probably the safest being that it was in the middle of winter. But you can't have two babies on one side. So I was on one side of the aisle and Mark was on the other. And these women around us were unbelievable. I mean, I've never felt a community on a plane like we felt that day. They were there. They were, you need anything. Mark couldn't get up and go to the bathroom to change Parker because of the oxygen tank. And so he put down the tray. I said, Mark, you you can't do that. You can't change Parker on the tray. And the woman next to him said, oh, yes, he can. (laughs) Honey, you go right ahead and you we're going to put this down. And this is going to be, and she just laid this cloth down. 
And she made us both feel comfortable because all you're thinking is that you just want to follow the rules and do the right thing. Well, you can't bring the baby and the oxygen into the bathroom. So motherhood changed you profoundly, would you say? Profoundly. So did you take some time off from work? What did you do? Did you jump right back in again? Or did you, were you able to stay home for a while? So I worked from home and the moments where I had to dash out, I always timed those with when they would be back down sleeping. But I did take time off then when they were six months old. Uh, that's my sweet spot, six months, you know, and they get a little chubby. So I sort of timed it with that because real estate can slow down more over the holidays. And I thought this is when they're going to be up and alert. So let's do it then. Question for you. How does it feel to hold this book in your hands? It kind of feels a little surreal because, you know, like all of these things, like success, it's one brick at a time. And when someone kind of asks you to turn around and look at this home or castle or whatever it is that you've built, and you kind of take your focus off that one brick and go, wow, I did that. When did I do that? But you're doing it a little bit every day. How do you think it's going to feel when you start getting the reaction that I know you're going to get to this book, because likening real estate to life makes an awful lot of sense. And, you know, maybe you'll be on the subway someday and someone will have that book in their hands. What's that going to feel like? It's going to fill my heart up because that's why I wrote it. I go back to these moments that I talk about at the beginning of the book where I would walk into my home and it would be pitch black. If I think about it too long it can bring me to tears because I had so much fear. It did not feel like home. It was this big, beautiful loft over Gramercy Tavern. It had been a home I had wanted for my whole life. I moved into my dream home and then it became my nightmare. And because it was black, it was dark. No one was there when I got home and I stood at the door and I put my head in my hands and I sobbed, not for a minute, not for five minutes, a good 30 minutes. And there was a lot of crying that went on in that home. So how will it feel when I give this book to someone that is going through some sort of pain? Hopefully they can laugh and hopefully they can see moments that apply to them going on a date, crying on a date, things like that, that just say, hey guys, this happens to a lot of us. Now in COVID, this is number one, the inventory is going to be fabulous. <laughs> so many people are, are having relationship problems. There's so much wisdom in this book. And I love the fact that each chapter opens up with something really inspiring. So based on your experience, not just in writing this book, but in selling so many homes, what makes a home? Oh, that's such a good question, Thank Candy. You. That's such a good question. Love. Pure and simple. And that doesn't have to be love for someone else, by the way. The ground message of my book is if you can love yourself truly connect 
be your own best friend and marry yourself, home will be wherever you are. We learn something from every chapter in our lives. What has been the biggest lesson for you so far? This chapter that I'm in is really about sitting back while I'm still growing every single day. I feel so thirsty to grow from other people's knowledge, thirsty to grow from other people's pain and anxious to get out into the world and see how I can also contribute. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I tend to absorb. I tend to take a couple steps back and give myself a moment, take a beat to really think and absorb and come up with a plan. But how do you get around an obstacle? First and foremost, you believe that you can do it. It starts with a belief. What do you wish you knew, Holly, when you first got started? Maybe that's in your career. You can turn around and perhaps talk to other people just getting started in the real estate business. But what do you wish you knew and what wisdom could you pass along to someone? That's also an amazing question. When I got started, I was always a confident person. But again, just to really connect to myself, come back to myself. There are many times where people are going through difficult moments and they will not treat you with grace and patience. And while I have a saying, when a deal doesn't go through in real estate, I always say, what's our takeaway? Where did we go wrong here? And sometimes whoever's sitting across the table, well, that wasn't our fault. That was the seller's fault. They did X, Y, and Z. And I'll say, there's always something we could have changed, always. And if we don't learn from a deal that is dead, then it's really expensive because at least we could have a takeaway here. So what's our takeaway? The book is called Back on the Market, and it's been such a pleasure to sit and talk with you today. My final question for you, Holly Parker. What is your definition of success? My definition of success is someone who has had some sort of failure, pain, or setback and comes out of the ashes with grace and compassion. I want to say thank you so very much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success, Holly Parker. Candy, thank you so much for having me. And there she is, Holly Parker, another fearless, smart, dynamic woman who has added her voice, her story to this series. I'm so thankful for that. If you know someone who's beaten the odds, turned her life around, accomplished great things, despite every obstacle thrown in her path, I would really love to hear more about her. Reach out to me anytime, candy at candyoterry.com. And please follow me on social, Candy O'Terry Official on Facebook and Candy O'Terry on all other platforms. The last name is spelled O-T-E-R-R-Y. If you like what you heard on this episode, that's awesome. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the story behind her success. And if you would be so kind, leave a review. These inspiring women are everywhere. And we'll have another story for you ready next week. 
This is Candy O'Terry asking you to join me in living a simple mantra. It goes like this. When we lift each other up, we all rise. <laughs>